the longer we stay in toxic environments, it really makes us start to believe that we aren't capable, that we can't do things, that we are not successful. You're doing yourself more harm standing in a situation that is no longer serving you. And welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and do work that matters. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to describe leaving her retail career behind to become a baby sleep consultant. We'll discuss moving forward without a fully formed plan and the importance of getting yourself out of toxic environments. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll talk about how much the places I've worked have affected who I am. Hello from Barcelona. I'm back here for the next 24 hours hosting another personal branding workshop, but wanted to make sure I got this episode out the door. And today I'm speaking with Tamiko Kelly, who's the founder of Sleep Well, Wake Happy and the creator of the Feel Like Yourself Again Baby Sleep Solution. As a certified sleep consultant and holistic health practitioner, Tamiko helps tired moms feel like themselves again by teaching them how to get their babies sleeping through the night. Prior to doing this work, Tamiko spent her career working in the corporate world doing retail merchandising at some well-known brands, including Banana Republic and Nordstrom. Now, I found my conversation with Tamiko really refreshing because she's so honest and real about her career journey, and also because she touches on some really important points about how much our work environments, managers, and colleagues can affect our psyche and belief in ourselves. She also reminded me how critical it is to get yourself out of situations that drag you down instead of lift you up. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 64. Tamiko spoke with me from Austin, Texas. Good afternoon, Tamiko, and welcome to Career Relaunch. We are going to talk through a few different topics today, including what made you want to leave your retail career behind and how you decided to start your own business focused on, as you put it, helping tired parents. But can you start by telling me more about what you're focused on right now in your career and your life just to get us started? Yeah, so right now I am making a big shift in my business where I'm going to be out of the day-to-day activities, focusing on a new offer for my company, which is super exciting. And then personally, I am about to start the moving process, which we all know can be a little crazy, but I feel like I got my hands around it because I'm starting a month early with the prep work. So it'll be easier for me and I'm excited about my new place. Now, I know you said that you are moving on a little bit in the nature of your work, And uh, at the same time, I would be curious to just hear a little bit more about what you had been doing before making this transition. For those people who aren't familiar with what a sleep consultant does, what exactly have you been doing for parents out there? I um, help tired moms feel like themselves again by teaching them how to get their babies sleep into the night. My clients call me the baby whisperer. And basically since 2008, I've spent over 50,000 hours. It's probably closer now to If I had to guess, probably 80 or 90,000 now, but, you know, I've been spending that amount of time teaching babies how to sleep and helping their parents 
be super excited and get a good night's sleep as well. I have not met a baby who I couldn't teach to sleep through the night. I also work wow. with toddlers and older kids as well. So um, if you have a kid who can't sleep, I'm definitely the girl who can help you. And it all started back in 2008. So it's been a long, wild, crazy ride. Now, I know that you have not always been a sleep consultant, and I do want to come back and hear a little bit more about exactly what you have been doing as a sleep consultant. But could we go back in time and go all the way back to your days working in retail, and then we can move forward from there? And perhaps we could start with your time at The Gap. And could you just explain what you were doing when you kicked off your retail career at The Gap? So I used to live in the Bay Area, San Francisco, for our folks who are not in the U.S. And I graduated for FIDM, which is the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in San Francisco. And my first job out of that, and this is after I had already had my bachelor's degree, so it's my second degree, was working at Gap. It started off as a strictly contract position. And all I was supposed to do was to help the... Piperline, which you know is no longer in existence, we help Piperline basically organize their inventory. So back in those days, Piperline had actual hard goods samples sent from um, the vendors that we used to service, and we had a sample room. And so my job was to go into that sample room and actually create inventory and organization. Because what would happen is that our photo team would take pictures of all of the pictures for the actual website so that people could see what the shoes look like and videos of people actually wearing the shoes. Then those shoes had to be kept somewhere. So that was my first stop at Gap. How did you like that? And how did you see your career at that point in time progressing? I loved working at Piperline because it was literally a startup. It was brand new. The team was excited. Um, it was a super thrilling time because Gap had never gone into the shoe business before. So it was super exciting for the whole team to kind of be in the inaugural division of the company, basically proving ourselves that we could be profitable, et cetera, and we could actually do the work and actually make money selling shoes. I had no idea where I wanted my career to go. Um, I had been in retail for so long that I was super excited to be an actual corporate. Anybody who was in retail or been in retail, you understand the grind that comes with working on the store level. And I was excited not to be at the store level anymore. So I literally like, did not care what job it was as long as I was no longer in the store. And so Parker Line was a super exciting time for me, for sure. And then you made a transition, is that right, to work in a high-end clothing retail? What happened during that chapter of your career and what made you want to make that shift? Actually, after Pipeline, I was recruited by another division of Gap, Banana Republic, to come and work on their team and specifically work on the men's business in visual merchandise. And I had had so much experience in visual merchandising. I was an actual stylist, so I worked with magazines and photographers and did rumor shows and all that stuff, dressing models and all that. And so they were super excited to have that experience on that team. And basically at Banana Republic, I worked in the photo studio. And so my job there was to help the stylists, again, keep all of the merchandise organized 
that was my first role. But then as I was on the team, I again got promoted to actually work on the visual men's merchandise side of the business where I was working with uh, the VP of that division. And we were actually setting up the visuals that the entire company would use. So we had a studio and I was basically setting up the visual merchandising for that part of the business. And basically at that time, we had about 200 stores. And so all 200 stores would use the work that we produced to set up the visual merchandising. So if you guys shop at Banana Republic, all of the mannequins and the tables and all that stuff is set up. It, it's, it was done by a team like the one I was on. And that was super fun, uh, super exciting. Definitely loved my time working in Gap Corporate. And then after Gap was my entree into Nordstrom and actually got to open up a fabulous, fantastic store. Actually, I worked in Nordstrom, let's backtrack here. I worked in Nordstrom before the Gap, actually, because I opened a store in the Houston Galleria. So shout out to my folks who work in the Houston Galleria store. And I opened that store back in 2003, I believe. It sounds like you had such a good run in the retail space and you got a chance to work on some fantastic brands like The Gap and Banana Republic and Nordstrom. And I was just curious how you went from that to focusing on sleep. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs, Joseph. So for me, it was a super easy transition. I knew I always wanted to own my own business. Didn't have any idea what I wanted it to be. I used to have a jewelry business back in the day that I thought I was going to I thought I was going to open up a retail business. Like I thought I was surely going to do something in the retail world. Tried my hands at many things, but nothing really felt right to me. And it wasn't until I was in San Francisco and started to do date nights that the light really got switched on in my head. I was like, hmm, I really do like working with families. I really do like working with babies. I've been a nanny literally my whole entire life. So maybe this is the route that I need to take. And it was like literally there that that's when it started in San Francisco. Now, when you say date night, I know you and I talked about this before we did this recording. What do you mean by date night? I think you said you were a date night nanny when we talked before. Yeah. So um, basically, parents would hire me. I lived in Silicon Valley. So if anybody who doesn't know, Silicon Valley is full of lots of executives who work super duper long hours. And basically, families would hire me to come in and give them and their partner a date night so they could go out, enjoy dinner, um, and have a night out on the town without the kiddos. Basically, I allow parents to date their spouse again. So it was super fun. (laughs) So (laughs) important. Yeah. So you're a date night nanny, and you're helping couples rekindle their their relationships (laughs) post-children. And then what happened? What made you then decide that you wanted to turn this into something more than being a date night nanny and you wanted to become a sleep consultant? You know, one of my clients actually said, hey, have you thought of taking what you're teaching me and putting it online? And so what folks have to understand is that back in the day when I was doing this, there was no online courses. Like that was not a thing back in 2003, four or five. Like it literally was not even an industry back then. So to have somebody say to me, hey, what do you think about that? I was like, girl, what are you talking about? Like I didn't even even know what she was referring to. And she basically was just like, hey, I go to school. All my classes are online and it's great for me because I'm able to do it whenever I'm available. I don't have to go to an actual campus. I think this would be great for you as well. And so because she mentioned that to me, he's got the wheels turning. And I was like, oh, maybe I can turn this into an actual business and not just 
random date nights here and there and all of that. And so it was through that one conversation that basically the train left the station with that one conversation. <laughs> so when you went into doing sleep consulting, it was in the form of online courses then, is that right? No, it was actually in the form of in-home consult. Okay. So you went into people's homes one at a time. Can you explain what, what that was like to go from working in the corporate setting where you're working with all these like high-end brands to then going into somebody's home where they're struggling to get their infant or baby or toddler to go to bed by eight o'clock or nine o'clock? <laughs> yeah. So I worked um, my sleep consulting alongside of my job. So it was basically a side hustle for me for many years. I would work in corporate and then after work and on the weekends is when I did my sleep consulting. I was literally driving up and down the Bay Area. I mean, literally I did the entire area. So from Novato all the way to Dublin Pleasanton, I live in San Mateo. So anybody who lives in the Bay Area, you realize how far I was driving yeah. mm -hmm. to help families. So I did a lot of work all over the Bay Area and it was through all of the hours I put in working with families in that one-on-one -on -one capacity that I was able to develop my online course many years ago. I did not develop my course, Joseph, until 2013 is when I finally developed my course. Okay. So five years into doing this work. Okay. And what do you think was the toughest part of doing this kind of work, whether it's the self-employment aspect of it or the sleep coaching part of it? Well, in the beginning, I basically worked for anybody who had a baby who didn't sleep. I had no I had no kind of filters on who I would work for and all that stuff. And I think in the beginning, I was just happy to help people. And as I continued to do the work, I realized, okay, so I only want to work with people who have X, Y, and Z. And so I think the hardest thing for me in the beginning was turning away business because I had this fear that if I didn't help everybody, that I would literally not have any clients. But it was through that filtering process that I really was able to hone my skills and carve out a better niche for myself. And so in the beginning, it was just hard to say no in the beginning, <laughs> um, which anybody who's new to business can totally amen me from the choir stand on that one. Definitely. If somebody is listening to this, Tamiko, and they've got some sort of a skill or even a strength that they want to utilize in the form of creating their own business, and they're hearing you and, and they're hearing you say, wow, I was turning away clients. Can you explain how were you even finding your first clients? So when I first started, we did not have Facebook. Um, we had the Yahoo form. So Yahoo groups was the, oh, a thing yeah, back then. Right. Yeah, <laughs> back in the yeah, day. <laughs> I'm in Silicon Valley, the home of Yahoo. And so this <laughs> right. was so exciting. I mean, just to kind of let people know, when I was in the Bay Area, I was one of the first, I think, 50 people to even use Twitter. So like this was like literally wow. like back <laughs> in the day. That's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right when Twitter, like 2008 was right when Twitter was, I think, released to the public. It was like, like the first 50 or 200 people who even got access because like somebody had to invite you. It wasn't even like open. Like somebody had to say, hey, Tamiko, come and get on Twitter. So, I mean, this was literally when I was starting my business. And so we had a Yahoo group and basically I helped one mom and she went on that Yahoo group for Sam and Taylor Berlin game and literally screamed my praises from the mountaintops. And from that one post... Literally, my phone rang. I'm not even kidding, y'all. 
all day, every day. I would be on conference calls and meetings and my phone would be blowing up from wow. moms like, get over here and sit <laughs> in this baby. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So I didn't have any kind of marketing strategy. It was, it was literally all word of mouth when I first started. The other thing I was hoping to hear about is what the toughest part, I know you mentioned that turning away clients was tough. Was there anything else that was tough about running your own business and this sort of a service-based business? You know, for me, it was like finding time for it all because I was still working corporate and it was on the side. It was really trying to balance everything because there were some days where I was working 12 hours at work and then I would have to go to somebody's house at night and then get up the next morning and go to work again. So, I mean, it was just trying to balance it all without killing myself <laughs> because it was... <laughs> So much work, which I mean, people are like, oh, it's a good thing. It is a good thing when you have a system for that work. Uh But I literally had no system and was flying by the seat of my pants. So just in general, that was hard. And I think also it was hard for me, you know, as far as rates, that was always a hot button topic for me because I didn't know what to charge. I just picked a number out the sky and said, this is the price. And I, I didn't have any kind of formula system for that. And so whenever I decided to increase my rates, I was very like, oh my God, I'm increasing my rates. And I was very like nervous that people wouldn't pay. And they were just like, like, we don't care. Just can you, like, can you do what you say that you can do? Then we'll pay you whatever you want us to pay you. And so once people told me that, it released me from all the pricing shame I was giving to myself. <laughs> mm, yeah. Pricing is a really tricky thing because, yeah, there's so much wrapped up in that, not just the financials of it, but also, I guess, like perceptions of self-worth and, and the value you offer and how much your time is worth. So, yeah, that's that's really tricky. And how did you know that it was time to turn this from being a side hustle to your full-time job? So two things. When the income started to become very close to when I was working in corporate on a part-time basis, I was like, okay, girl, like you have got to really look at this because you're basically almost matching your corporate salary working part-time, like just on the weekends and at night. So like, what could you do if you did not have corporate at all? Like how much money could you really make? And then number two, it was when I just got sick of being in corporate. Like I had, I've had some horrible bosses in my career, Joseph, who Uh really... And I always say, like, when we have a horrible boss, that is God or the universe or or whoever you call it, giving us the lesson that we need to have at that point in our life. And the lesson that I had to get from my bosses when I, you know, was in corporate was you are qualified. If these idiot monkeys can do their job and get paid all this money to be basically a-holes, you're a nice person. People love you. So there's no reason why you can't run your own thing and be highly successful in it. So I think once I kind of got my head around that, that I was capable, that I am confident and I'm able to be successful in a business, that gave me the confidence to be like, okay, it's time to leave. Now, you know, just I will tell you, I did not have a game plan. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, I got to have X amount of dollars saved and I got to have X amount of clients. I didn't do any of that. I literally just said, I'm done working. Today is my last day. I'm putting in my two weeks today. I had no money saved up. I had no backup plan. I was like, I don't even care. I'm just done working in corporate. And I, I literally left. And I got my first 
20K client in 48 hours of leaving. And that's when I knew that this was what I was supposed to be doing. That is a great transition, Tamiko, into a couple of the last things I was hoping that we could talk about, which is what you've learned along the way from making your transition from the corporate world to running your own business. And what you just said there about making a leap without having a concrete plan in place is, I think, quite interesting for me because I'm somebody who struggles to move forward without a plan. What did you learn from doing that, from making the leap without having a plan that you could now say at this point in time that maybe you didn't realize at the time? Looking back, I think that I learned that I can do anything that I put my mind to. Like anything that I say I want to do, it's 100% possible. I don't have to battle with the doubt anymore because I've proven it to myself Time and time and time again. So for me, it's the best thing I ever did. Um, Looking back, I stayed in corporate way too long, dealt with way too much BS. I should have left many years before I left. It's also a reminder of myself to stop holding on so tightly, tightly to things that are no longer serving me for the fear of what may happen in the future and just do what I know I need to do and just trust that it's going to always work out because it literally always does. Do you have any advice for someone out there who may be listening to this and is feeling some of that same doubt that you were feeling at the time and holding on to a job that maybe they don't feel is exactly right for them? Any advice for them about making a change? You know, my advice is just to leave. Like, I think that the longer we stay in toxic environments, it does something to our psyche. It really makes us start to believe that we aren't capable, that we can't do things, that we are not successful. I personally had bosses who said the most horrible things to me, did the most horrific things to me. And if you're in an environment where people are constantly negative, they're constantly bringing you down, it affects you in ways that you don't even know it's affecting you until you're out of that environment. Like I didn't even realize how ridiculous I was being treated until I was no longer in that environment and looked back and I was like, what in the world were you doing with your life? (laughs) So I just think you're doing yourself more harm staying in a situation that is no longer serving you. Now, some people may have families and they can't just do like I did it, just peace out without a game plan. And, and, And I can totally respect that. What you have to ask yourself, though, is can I come up with a date that I say, this is the date that I'm done, regardless of what's happening in the business, regardless of what my boss expects of me, I'm done on this date and I'm putting in my notice on this date. And then I'm going to have a quit day party. Like I'm going to put in my notice on this date. And then on the last day, I'm going to have a quit day party because whatever you're meant to do, your dreams like they're waiting for you. And the longer that you sit in a position that's not serving you, the less people that you're able to help. That is really great advice. And it is so hard, I think, to walk away from something that feels so stable. So that's just a really good reminder that, yeah, you're just burning time and sometimes you do have to move on. And I think, Joseph, you know, no job is stable. I mean, literally, I lived in Silicon Valley during the real estate boom and people who were making millions of dollars went from having millions of dollars to having zero dollars, literally overnight. And I just think that people have to realize that civility is an illusion. 
having a stable job is an illusion. And the longer that you keep telling yourselves these lies, the longer that you're preventing yourself from doing what you were really put on this earth to do. And I'm a strong advocate for entrepreneurship because I know that the freedom is given me and the flexibility that I have in my life that I never had in corporate. And anybody who works in retail, like, you know how crazy that schedule is. Like, you literally have no life. And so I am all for entrepreneurship and I'm all about defining freedom on your terms for sure. Well, let's wrap up with what you're focused on right now. What is next for you in your business? So what next for me in my business is, you know, I'm working on on a, on a new offer that I you know mentioned in the beginning. You know, I'll be able to have other people who will be able to help families that I can't help or just, you know, like I told my class today, I was like, you know, I'm retiring from nights. Like I've been doing nights for over a decade <laughs> now. And I just think it's time I pass the baton to somebody else. And so finding people who can help my clients um, who desperately need help with nights without me having to be the person to, to do that. Um, and then, you know, helping other newborn care professionals, because in my industry, it's a predominantly female oriented industry. And so many of the women that I um, meet in conferences and other groups, they are just struggling to make ends meet. And so I've been coaching several of them. And so, you know, I'm kind of exploring the idea of coaching newborn care professionals on how to build sustainable businesses that don't drain the life out of you they can give yeah. you the freedom and the life that you so desperately want so i'm working on that too okay and now i know you've also got some workshops that you run could you tell me a little bit about your workshops and then we'll wrap up it basically walks parents through my system um, my tips for helping you tonight wean your baby so that you don't have to be up all night every night feeding your baby every hour. And so, you know, to get your seat in that workshop, it's sleepwellwakehappy.com slash workshop. And the moms who have joined me on that workshop have completely had their lives changed by what they learned. So if you're a mom whose baby won't go to sleep without a bottle or breastfeeding all night long, then you definitely don't want to miss this workshop. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing that resource, Tamiko, and just really appreciate you taking the time to share your story of leaving the corporate world to start your own business and how you navigated the challenges along the way. And again, I think you're doing some really great work out there. And I'm sure there are plenty of parents out there who really appreciate what you're doing for them. So thanks so much for sharing your career story on the show and best of luck to you with your new endeavor. Thank you so much. So I hope you enjoyed hearing some useful perspectives from Tamiko about the importance of starting somewhere, even if you don't have your plans fully mapped out and letting go of the things that no longer serve you. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to explain how much your work environment can affect who you are. Thanks to FreshBooks for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. FreshBooks is a user-friendly, simple invoicing and accounting tool for self-employed professionals and small business owners. Try it free for one month by going to careerrelaunch.net slash FreshBooks. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we cover today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. For today's Mental Fuel, there were a couple topics I thought about covering. 
The first was about self-confidence, which Tamiko mentioned was something she had to build up before she made the leap into self-employment. But that's a topic we covered quite a bit in episode 49 with Heather Monahan, the author of The Confidence Creator. So if you want to hear more about the topic of confidence, feel free to check out episode 49. Instead, I want to pick up on something Tamiko said about how being in a toxic environment can affect your psychology and self-belief, and how important it is to get yourself out of situations that no longer serve you. And this got me thinking about how much the people we surround ourselves with and how much the work environments where we spend most of our waking hours can really affect who we are, how we behave, and what we believe. So I thought I'd just share a personal story about how one work environment literally altered my personality just to illustrate how much your workplace can affect who you are. In my case, it won't be a story of a toxic workplace per se that affected my confidence, although I did have a couple of those going back to my college internship days. But instead, I thought I'd talk about another situation I wouldn't say had a positive or negative impact on me, but just shifted how I thought about the world around me. So I don't know if you've ever taken the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Test, also known as the MBTI, but if you're familiar with it, it's a well-known personality questionnaire that gives you a sense of how you process the world around you. It's a popular test that, in a nutshell, gives you a sense of how you operate across four domains in your life, specifically how you draw your energy, process information, make decisions, and structure your life. I'm simplifying a bit here, but that's the gist of it. So I've taken this test several times in my life, a couple times as a child, once in college, and a few times when I was working in the corporate world because it's a popular team building exercise to understand how people operate on your team. And every single time I took it throughout different life stages and ages, I always typed as a strong INTJ which means I'm the type of person who's more energized by time alone rather than with others, focused on conceptual ideas rather than details, logical rather than emotional, and planned rather than spontaneous. It's actually the third rarest personality type out there, accounting for about 2% of the general population. The one exception to me typing as an INTJ was when I took the test after spending a couple years working at Clorox, which was the first large corporate company I worked for back in my brand manager days after doing my MBA. And when I took the test there, how I processed information changed for the first time in my life from an N to an S, flipping from being focused on high-level ideas and intuition to details and fact-based analysis, which made complete sense because the MBA is certainly focused on data analysis, and Clorox was also a company that really valued analytics and data-driven decision-making and planning. A few years later, when I worked at Goo Desserts, a startup in London, and took the test again, I actually shifted back toward being an N again, which also made sense because Goo was a startup back then, and a lot of the marketing decisions were made based on gut feel and intuition. So I'm just sharing this as an example of how much I've personally been affected by those environments where I used to spend the majority of my waking hours. And what I found interesting and almost scary about it was that I've always sort of prided myself as someone who doesn't allow others to affect who I am. Peer pressure was never something that I thought I felt. 
And I didn't think I was someone whose personality was so malleable or driven by the environment around me. And yet these places really did change me. In this specific case, I wouldn't say it had a negative or positive impact on me, but it did alter who I was. All the way back in episode six, featuring marketer turned interior designer Naz Nazawa, I shared this quote by Jim Rohn, who said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I really believe that. And so with all of this in mind, it's worth thinking about the company you're keeping during your work days, the people you're spending the most time with at work, especially your managers and the behaviors they're encouraging or discouraging your organization and the actions and attitudes it values and rewards. While it may not seem like one person's opinion of you or one way of working or one aspect of your company's culture would dramatically alter who you are, the accumulation of those things, especially over time, can have a significant impact on how you view the world, how you think you should act and be in order to be considered successful, and ultimately what you think of yourself, both the positive and the negative. How are your colleagues? managers, and work environment affecting you? Are they lifting you up or are they constantly holding you back? It's so important to take stock of what impact your environment is having on you and what is and what is not acceptable to you as you think about your own professional health. This brings me to a quote that I couldn't find the author for, but really rings true with this topic. Make sure everybody in your boat is rowing, not drilling holes when you're not looking. Know your circle. So my challenge to you is to think about the company you keep. Think about what specific impact the people you spend the most time with are having on your own personal and professional well-being. Write it down. If they're having a positive impact, great. But if they're dragging you down all the time, you just have to ask yourself how long you're willing to tolerate being around those people. And if you feel the time has come to get yourself out of that situation, what small step you could take this week to lay the groundwork for moving somewhere else. If you want to learn more about that Myers-Briggs test, I'll include a link to some more information about that questionnaire on today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 64, where you can also find a summary of all the key concepts from today's conversation with Tomiko, along with links to those past episodes I mentioned during today's Mental Fuel segment. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 64. In our next episode of Career Relaunch, we're heading over to Detroit, Michigan, where I'll be speaking with an automotive industry professional who bounced back from being laid off from her job not once, but twice. We're going to talk about how she bounced back from those moments and what she learned about what truly mattered to her. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch, and a special thanks again to Tamiko Kelly for sharing her honest story with us today from Austin, Texas. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington. Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll see you next time.